Take your Bibles, please, and turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, in just a moment, we'll begin reading in uh, verse 14. James chapter 2, verse 14. How do you tell if somebody is what they say they are? How do you tell a male man? How do you tell, know whether somebody's a teacher or a preacher or a surgeon or a musician? If they just say, well, I'm a, I'm a male man or I'm a preacher or I'm a musician, does that mean that that's what they are? Not necessarily. The way you know somebody is what they say they are is that they do things that show that they say what they say is what they are. Uh, if, if you're a mailman, I, I need to see you sometime taking mail to somebody's house. If you're a teacher, I need to see you sometime stand up in front of some people and teach. If you're a preacher, I need to see you in a pulpit preaching the Word of God. If you're a surgeon, I kind of need to know that you go back there and you put your outfit on and you put your mask on and you were doing that before it was cool and so you, uh, you go back there and you can operate on somebody and if you are a musician like these folks are, I expect to see you pick up some type of instrument and play it. It's not just what you say that matters, it's what you do that matters. And if you say that you're a Christian... Do I need to believe that right off the top? Not necessarily. What do you do that shows that you are a Christian? Do you ever read the Bible? Do you ever share the gospel with lost people? Jesus said, follow me and I will make you, say it out loud with me, fishers of men. If you are not telling people about Jesus, if you're not fishing for lost souls... You're not following Jesus as closely as you should, and to be frank with you, you might not be following him at all. You say, well, I'm a Christian. I prayed way back in the day. I understand all that. But did you really mean what you prayed? And is there any fruit to show that you're a real Christian? I'm not talking about a perfect life. There's no such thing except for the Lord Jesus Christ, but I am talking about a Christ-like life. Do you enjoy being around the people of God? Or do you just hang out by yourself all the time and you never get around God's people? You never go to church? You never sit under the teaching of the Word of God? And you can do that without it bothering you. I want to say this to you. Christians can live in sin, but they can't enjoy it very long. Amen. Christians can live in sin, but it will eat them alive. The Holy Ghost will eat them up. I'm telling you. If, if you're living in sin and it's not bothering you, that should bother you. <laughs> that should bother you. Because the Spirit of God, if you belong to Christ, He's going to make sure that you're constantly aiming toward Jesus. And if you're not, He's going to be dealing with you on the inside. James says exactly that in our text. We know that we're Christian, not merely by the words that we speak, but primarily by the good works that we do. The works don't save us, but they show that we are saved. They are evidence for the fact that we know Jesus. I want to ask you, is there any evidence in 
your life that other people can see and they would say, you know what? I don't know that person, but I'll just almost assure you they're a Christian the way they act. If somebody finds out that you're a Christian, would they be shocked? Or would they say, that doesn't surprise me at all. The way they live, the way they act, the way they are, no doubt about it. Their faith is backed up by their works. Well, let's talk about, the title is, True Faith Works. It works. If you've got a genuine faith, it will produce good works. First of all, James says in our text, faith without works is profitless. Look at verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith, literally that kind of faith, save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and is in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, shalom, go in peace, be warmed, be filled, and yet you don't give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that in modern vernacular? What's up with that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead because it's by itself. Verse 14, he gives, just like his brother Jesus did, he gives two questions. He asks two questions, not to get an answer, but to make a point. It's a teaching method. First question, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? What use is that? It's profitless. Can that faith or that kind of faith save him? In other words, they have this profession of faith, but it produces no Christ-likeness and no Christ-like words. It's nothing except deceptive Pretentious religion, and religion won't save you. Look at verses 15 and 16. He gives a superb illustration of what he's talking about. If a brother or a sister, we're talking about Christian people, if they're without clothing and in need of daily food, many of the Christians in this day, because they were becoming Christians, their families were abandoning their Jewish families were abandoning them. That's who he's speaking. He's speaking to Jewish Christians. They would abandon them. They'd lose their jobs. And all of a sudden, they'd be out. He said, if a brother or sister is without clothing, without daily food, and one of you just kind of pats them on the back and says, oh, you go on in peace now. You be warmed. You be filled. But yet, you don't give them what is necessary for their body. What's up with that? What use is that? What good does it do to profess faith in Jesus if you don't act like Jesus? You know, when Jesus saw somebody that was hurting, he helped them. When somebody was hungry, he fed them. When somebody was sick, he healed them. When somebody was in need, he tried to meet the need. Lip service faith doesn't meet the need. It doesn't feed the hungry. It doesn't clothe the naked. It doesn't help people out. And then he shuts the door on it in verse 17. He says, even so, if it has faith, if it has no works, it's dead. It's dead being by itself. It is 
profitless. Years ago, I heard this story. Bear with me. It's a little bit long, but you'll understand why I think it's pertinent to read it at this point, if you'll just stick with me. It came about to pass that a group of men existed who called themselves fishermen, and lo, there were many fish all around them. In fact, the entire area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish, and the fish were hungry. Week after week, month after month, year after year, those who called themselves fishermen held meetings and talked about their call to, the, to fish, the abundance of fish all around them, and how they might go about fishing. Year after year, they carefully defined what fishing meant, defended fishing as an occupation, and declared that fishing, that fishing is always supposed to be the primary task of fishermen. These fishermen built large, beautiful buildings for local fishing headquarters. The plea was that everyone should be a fisherman and every fisherman should fish. One thing they didn't do, however, they didn't fish. In addition to meeting regularly, they organized a board to send out fishermen to other places where there were many fish. The board was formed by those who had the great vision and courage to speak about fishing, to define fishing, to promote the idea of fishing in faraway streams and lakes where many other fish of various different colors lived. Also, the board hired staff and appointed committees and held many meetings to define fishing, defend fishing, and to decide which new stream should be considered for fishing. But the staff and the committee members did not Fish. Large, elaborate, expensive training centers were built the, whose original and primary purpose was to teach fishermen how to fish. Over the years, courses were offered on the needs of the fish, the nature of the fish, how to define fish, the psychological reactions of fish, and how to approach and feed the fish. Those who taught had PhDs in fishology, but the teacher and the teachers never fished. They only taught about fishing. Furthermore, the fishermen built large printing houses to publish fishing guides. Presses were kept busy day and night to produce materials solely devoted to fishing methods, equipment, and programs to arrange and encourage meetings to talk about fishing. A speaker's bureau was also provided to schedule special speakers to speak on the subject of fishing. After one stirring meeting on the topic of the necessity of fishing, one young man left the meeting and actually went fishing. The next day he reported that he caught two outstanding fish. He was honored for his excellent catch and was immediately scheduled to visit all the big meetings possible to tell how he did it. So he quit his fishing in order to have time to tell about his experience of fishing and catching two fish to the other fishermen. He was also placed on the fisherman's general board as a person having considerable experience in fishing. Now, it's true that many of the fishermen sacrificed and put up with all kinds of difficulties. Some lived near the water that bore the smell of dead fish. They received the ridicule from some people who made fun of their fishermen clubs and the fact that they claimed to be fishermen but never fished. They wondered about it about those who felt it was little use to attend and talk about fishing after all. Were they not following their master who said, follow me 
and I'll make you fishers of men. Imagine how hurt some of them were one day when someone suggested that those who do not fish are not really fishermen, no matter how much they claim to be. You're not a fisherman just because you talk about fishing. You're only a fisherman if you fish. And you're not a Christian just because you talk about it. You're a Christian by living like Jesus. Herschel Hobbes said many years ago, if there is no fruit, it's because there's no root. God wants your faith to go to work. And if it doesn't go to work, it is not a real faith. He wants you to fish for the souls of lost men. He wants you to live in the word and share that word with other people. He wants you to pray. He wants you to worship him. He wants you to live a Christ-like life. He doesn't want it just to be something you say. He wants it to be something you do. If you say that you love the Lord, but you don't ever live like the Lord, you don't love the Lord. If you say that you love Bellevue Baptist Church, but you don't support this ministry with your presence and with your participation and with your prayers and with your financial giving and with your ministry, you don't really love this church. If you say that you believe the Bible, but you rarely ever even pick it up, much less read it, much less memorize it, do you really love the Bible and do you really love the author, the Lord Jesus Christ? If you're prejudiced toward anybody because of the color of their skin, is it even possible that Jesus Christ, who loves all people the same, is it possible that Jesus lives within you? If you don't have good works, talk's cheap. Talk's cheap. You never fellowship with believers, and yet you're a Christian? Talk is cheap. Never share your testimony. Never even have a feeling of concern about lost people. Talk's cheap. Amen. Preach a sermon, but don't live like the Lord during the week. Talk is cheap. Say you're for racial reconciliation, but you hate people of the other color. Talk is cheap. Amen. Faith without works is profitless. Number two, faith without works is, and I invented a word here, proofless. You say, is that a word? It is now. We invented it. Verse 18, but someone may... Well, say, you have faith, I have works, okay? Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. It's interesting that both faith and various kinds of works are listed as spiritual gifts in the premier text on spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit 
for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith, there it is, by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the effecting of miracles, the performance of miracles, the actuality, the acting out of miracles, and to another prophecy and to another distinguishing or discerning of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. Faith is referred to clearly in verse 9. And then various actions, various works are referred to in many of the other spiritual gifts. When he talks about in verse 8, words of wisdom and words of knowledge, what has to happen? A work, you have to speak those words of knowledge, speak those words of wisdom. And you might, you might have even had that spiritual gift and you didn't even know it. Maybe God gave you a word for somebody and you're just burning in your heart and you know that you're supposed to tell them and you say, I don't know if I ought to tell them. Man, listen, if it's the Spirit of God, lovingly tell them and just speak a word into their lives. It might be a word of knowledge. It might be a word of wisdom. And it might be exactly what they're praying about. But you have to do it. It's a work. Perfecting miracles. It's a work. Healing. You lay hands on people and it is a work. Speaking prophecies. That's a work. Distinguishing or discerning various kinds of demonic spirits so that you know how to bind them in the name of Jesus through his shed blood by the power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God and you cast them out and you bind them and you ask God to plunder their property, plunder their house and to loose in their stead the Holy Ghost. You have to discern that. That's an action. That is a work to distinguish those various spirits. And then speaking tongues, you have to speak. You have to interpret. Those are actions. So both Faith and works are mentioned in spiritual gifts. And he says, go ahead. You try to show me that you're a Christian without your works, just with your faith, and I'll show you my faith by my works. What I do shows that I really am who I say that I am. Now you think about the Apostle Paul. Paul would call, com compared to him, there is nobody in this room that has suffered even close. He would probably, in a loving way, call us wimps. Because we just have not, you say, oh, Brother Stephen, now wait a minute. Uh, somebody talked ugly uh, about me at school because I was a Christian. Paul would say, you got any scars on your back? Have you been beaten? Paul was defending himself one day about his Christianity. Some people were questioning whether or not he was even a Christian, much less a God-called man. And you know what he pointed to? Not just his words, but his works. He said, listen, let me, let me tell you about this. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Look on the screen. Are they, these people that are accusing me of not being a true servant of Christ? Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman when I say these things, but I have served, there it is, works, him, Jesus, far more. I have worked harder. I have been put in prison more often. I have been whipped times without number. I have faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes, and all those were done in synagogues, by the way, before religious people watching him being beaten. Three times I was beaten with rods. One time I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once... I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced 
danger from rivers, from robbers. I have faced dangers from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced dangers in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but they are not. I have worked hard. I have worked long. I have endured many sleepless nights. I've been hungry. I've been thirsty. I've often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all of this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all of these churches. Who is weak without my feeling weakness? Who is led astray and I don't burn with anger? If I must boast, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. God the Father of our Lord Jesus, who is worthy of eternal praise, knows I am not lying. When I was in Damascus, the governor under King Aretas kept guards at the city gates to catch me. I had to be lowered in a basket through a window in the city wall to escape from him. And what he's saying is this, look, I know that I'm a Christian. I know that, that God lives in me. I am not perfect, but I got news for you. My works show that I have faith. I know that I have faith. Because I have served Jesus. I have worked hard for Jesus. I've been imprisoned for Jesus. I've been whipped for Jesus. I have faced wrath and death for Jesus. The Jews beat me with 39 lashes several times. I have been beaten with robs. I have been stoned. I have been shipwrecked. I have traveled abroad on long journeys. I have been floating out on a piece of wood, wondering if a shark was going to eat me, and I did it for a day and for a whole night. I have traveled long journeys. I have faced dangers from many areas. I've worked hard. I have worked long. I've been hungry. I've gone without sleep. I have gone without proper clothing. I have gone without water. I have shivered in the cold. I have the daily burden of the churches on me. I even had to be lowered out of a window in a basket to get away from a wicked king. Don't tell me I don't have faith, Paul said. I'll prove it by my works. My works. I didn't do that for me, he said. I did it for the Lord. Now, you tell me, how do you know you're a Christian? Where are your works? Well, I come to church. Good. What else you got there? Well, I give a little money sometimes. Okay. What else you got? I read my Bible once in a while. Oh, that's big of you. What else you got? Well, once in a time, I, 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 I try to pray before I eat. Oh, great. What else you got? That's about it. That's it? That's all you got? I'm coming. That's all you got? You ever shared your testimony with anybody? God ever laid it on your heart to pay somebody's rent one month? God ever laid it on your heart to give that 
used car away instead of trading it in on a new one? Giving it to somebody that doesn't have a car? Ever thought about maybe just fixing a meal for somebody and taking it to them? You ever thought about laying hands on somebody and praying for them? Have you ever thought about forgiving somebody that wronged you? Whether they asked for it or not? You ever thought about calling your own mother who lives by herself and is lonely? I sure wish I could call mine. You know why it's quiet in here? Because the Holy Ghost is talking to people. Amen. And you better drink it up. Because I'm telling you, faith without works is nothing. Talk is cheap. This is real Christianity right here. If you have a faith that you can't prove by your works, you don't have a faith. Amen. Thirdly, faith without works is popular. This is what most people have. They believe in God. Oh, I believe in God. Well, that's wonderful. Good for you. Look at verse 19. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. How many of you believe the demons are going to heaven? Please don't raise your hand. But they believe in God. But hell was made for them. But they believe in God. I know. And that's not enough. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. That is, they tremble. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? It's popular, but it's useless. He's talking to Jews, and they had this wonderful theological concept back in the Old Testament, way back in the day of Moses and even beyond. They said, you know what? There's not many gods. They... they came out of a, a land, you know, Abraham and all those guys came out of land of pantheism and polytheism when there were many gods and all these multiple gods, a god for this, a god for that, over here, over here, there, there. And they said, no, 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 no. There is only one God. He is Jehovah God. And it is in Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Shema. Hear, O Israel. Read it out loud with me. The Lord is our God. The Lord is what? One. It's only one God. Oh, they got in trouble over that. Only one God. And he's Jehovah. He's our God. And so the Jews took pride in that and said, yes, sir, we are monotheistic. We believe in God. We're not like those pagans that believe in many gods. James says, uh, you believe that God is one? Wonderful. So does the devil. And so did the demons. That's not enough. 
And then Paul would write, Timothy, there's only one God and there's only one mediator between that God and all of mankind, the man Christ Jesus. There's only one God. Believe in him, that's great. But also believe in the one that can get you to him, and that is Jesus Christ. Not Buddha, not Allah, not any other so-called God. The only way to God is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so James comes right along, Paul, and they say, believing in one God's not enough. That's popular, but it's not enough. I, I talk to people all the time, and I say, do you know the Lord Jesus? Oh, yeah, I believe in God. I said, I, I, I didn't ask you that. Do you know Jesus? Well, yeah, I, I think so. I, I didn't ask you that. I said, do you know Jesus? Well, now, I don't know about all that. Well, let's talk. Head knowledge of existence of God, not enough. Not enough. You got to know. And, and, and by the way, you know, this whole thing, demons, a lot of people don't believe in them. Well, Jesus did. And he believed that they believed in him and they believed in God but they weren't going to heaven. Jesus, if you, I, I just want you to go read sometime. Go read right after Jesus calmed the sea at the end of Mark chapter 4. He then landed on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he comes right into a graveyard, a Gentile graveyard, where two demonized men were and Mark only talks of one of them, but we know because of the other gospel there were two, but one of them was prominent. And so Jesus, the boat lands, and you can almost hear the disciples saying, Jesus, they see this naked, demonized, two de naked, demonized men running at them with chains dangling off of them that they've broken. And Jesus is the only one that gets out of the boat. I have to imagine the conversation went something like this. Lord, this one, th this looks like a job for you. We're praying for you. <laughs> Go ahead, Lord. Sick them, Jesus. Go get them. And this guy runs up. And what does he do? You read it. He falls to the ground and the demons start talking. Who are you? We know who you are. You're the holy son of God. Have you come to torment us before the time? Don't cast us out of this region. Demons are territorial. Go read in Daniel how there was a demon for Greece and a demon for this other country, and they didn't want to leave where they were. If you're going to cast us out, cast us into those swine. And Jesus does something that I understand. My brother that just died a couple of weeks ago, he was my older brother. I've told you this before. I'll tell you again. Our routine was my mom and dad both worked. My, mom, my dad worked at the railroad. My mom worked at Sears. And we'd get a little carpool. We'd, they'd drive us home. And this happened every day for about three or four years, almost every day. And I remember it being daily. And we would walk in, we would drink a knee-high, N-E-H-I, orange or grape. Oh, can I have a witness? Anybody ever had one of those? Oh, my. Oh, my. Cold knee-high. Oh, I'm thirsty right now. But anyway, 
We would each drink ours, and then he'd beat me up. <laughs> Every day. He just beat the tar out of me. He'd sit down on me and hit me in my chest like that. Anybody ever done that to you? I, you know what? I had a, a, I had a, a tumor in there. I think he did it. My brother and I, he'd lock my head up and squeeze it until I would say, uncle, or I give. And I'd, my head would be red as a beet, and I wasn't going to sit. And I was just thinking, I said, one of these days I'm going to get bigger than you, and I'm going to beat the tar out of you. <laughs> and I did. And it was wonderful. <laughs> it was wonderful. I, I beat the tar out of him one day, and I loved it. Sorry. <laughs> He'd hold my head and finally I'd say, I give up, uncle. He'd feel so good. And Jesus is saying to these demons, when he said, what's your name? He's got them in a headlock. Say, uncle, give up. And that demon said, our name is Legion, for we are many. Now think about it, Legion, an army. The devil has an army. They're well organized, and they are militant, and they're out to steal, kill, and destroy. The, the Bible says God has a plan for you, and the Bible says the devil has a plan for you, and he wants to take you down. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your health. He wants to destroy your mind. He wants to take you down, and he's got a plan for you, but listen, if you'll walk with God, you don't have to fear the devil. You can walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And Jesus said, what's your name? Legion, for we are many. Go! And he cast them like they wanted into the swine. All the pigs died. Why? Because he was Lord over those demons. And those demons knew who he was. And James says, you believe in God? Big deal. Big deal. So does the devil. It's not enough to be popular and say, I believe in God. you got to believe in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, before you'll ever know the Father. You can't say that you believe and go around committing immorality, sleeping with people, living with somebody you're not married to. You either need to go one side or the other. You can't live like that and call yourself a Christian. You can't live and have foul language all the time and call yourself a Christian. You can't go out and get drunk or get high on marijuana or whatever else all the time and call yourself a Christian because Christians don't need to get high on drugs. We get high on the Holy Ghost. Amen. You can't avoid the Bible. You can't avoid your prayer closet. You can't never tell anybody about Jesus and really be a Christian. You can't. You can't. And you can't hate people of another color and truly be a follower of Jesus. Oh, faith without works is popular, but it is sickening to God. All right, it's profitless, proofless, popular. Last thing, faith without works is perfected. And I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about maturity. That's the word. 
Look at verse 21 very quickly. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working without his or with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected or matured. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, and Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness and he was called the friend of God. Here's Abraham. He's a hundred years old. He's got this boy named Isaac that God miraculously gave him when his wife and he were way past the time of childbearing. And the Bible says he has this child and he's the child of promise. He's the one through whom will come Jacob, through whom who will become Israel. Jacob's name, his grandson would come from Isaac and he, he would have his name changed to Israel. And then you'd have the 12 tribes of Israel and out of Judah, eventually it would come the Messiah. So you've got all this writing on Isaac being born. And then one day in Genesis 22, God says, I want you to take that son, your only son, the, the one you love, and I want you to sacrifice him on the mount called Moriah. And he takes him to Mount Moriah and he holds that knife up because he believed that even if God, the Bible says in the New Testament, he believed that even if he killed Isaac, God would raise him from the dead to fulfill that promise. And he was about to kill his own son. And God didn't want him to kill his son. He wanted him to be willing to kill his son. He wanted him to love him, God, more than even his own son. And God said, stop. And he stopped. And he looked over and saw a ram. And I'll guarantee you, Isaac was saying, hallelujah for that ram over there. Amen. And they sacrificed him. And that's where we get the whole concept of Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider. God provided the lamb. And I got news for you, God provided us a lamb too, amen, in Jesus Christ. And what, what James is saying, it, it wasn't that he just talked about works. He had our faith. He had works that proved his faith. And then he's going to give us another illustration about a harlot, a prostitute. Listen to this. You see that man is justified, verse 24, by works, not by faith alone. In the same way was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Who in the world is Rahab? Well, do you remember Moses? Moses had led right up to the promised land. He dies. One person went to Moses' funeral, and that was God. He buried him. And then now Joshua is in charge. Joshua, in Joshua chapter 2, sends two spies over to the first place they're going to take called Jericho. And these huge walls are all around it. And the Bible says these two men go and they find a prostitute, not to be immoral with, but to hide out and to search the city. And the Bible says, this woman, Rahab the harlot, it was not an accident that they went to her house because she had heard about the living God. And she gets these guys said, you're, you're, part, you're part of this group? We've heard about you. We heard about how God got you out of Egypt. We heard about how God through Moses led you through the Red Sea and it parted. We've heard about how when the Egyptians tried to come in after you and, and kill you, God closed it in on them and wiped them out. We've heard about how he provided for you every day manna in the morning and bread and food to eat. We've heard about how God has taken care of you and how he's killed all these enemies. We've heard it. And we know that he's the true God and we know that we're 
We're going to be destroyed. We know that. But I want you to know that I love your God. I love your God. And I want you to do something for me. I'm one of you. Rahab's talking. She says, I, I, I'm one of you. And I'm sure by now she's quit being a harlot. And she said, I want you to know, I've given my heart to Jehovah. And, and I want you to, to do something for me. When you guys come in, and I know you're going to destroy this city. I understand that. But don't kill me and my family. Don't do it. She had faith. She proved it with her works. These guys said, okay, deal. One thing, hang this scarlet thread, this scarlet rope out of your window so we'll know where you are and we will tell everybody to leave you alone. We'll kill everybody else. That's what he's talking about. She had faith that produced works and she did what she was told to do, and she was spared. I'm telling you, your works don't save you, but they prove that you're saved. And if you don't have good works, you have every reason in the world to ask yourself. You say, I'm saved by grace. That's right. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. But you know what the very next verse says? It talks about works. Ephesians 2, 10. For we are his workmanship. That is, we were saved to be workers for him, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. If you don't have any works, it's because you're not a Christian. They don't save you, but they prove that you have genuine faith, and your faith is bogus without works. Faith with works is mature. It's perfected. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one would walk with me than merely show the way. The eye is a better pupil or student and more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but an example is always clear. And the best of all the preachers are the ones who live their creed for to see the good Put to action is what everybody needs. I can soon learn to do it if you'll let me see it done. I can watch your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run. And the lecture you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lesson by observing what you do. I might misunderstand you and the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. When I see a, de a deed of kindness I'm eager to be kind when a weaker brother stumbles and a strong man stands behind just to see if one can help him. If then the wish grows strong in me to become as big and thoughtful as I know that friend to be. And all travelers can witness that the best of guides today is the one who tells them, not, is not the one who tells them, but the one who shows the way. One good person teaches many People believe what they behold. One deed of kindness noticed is worth 40 that are told. Those who stand with those of honor learn to hold their honor dear for right living speaks a language which to everyone is clear. Though an able speaker charms me with their eloquence, I say, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. You look at me, you look at me, 
I'm not mad at you. Believe it or not, I pray for you every day. I love you. I love you too much not to tell you the truth. And I'm telling you what James is saying. Just because you say you're a Christian. But if you don't have any actions to prove it. Are you really a Christian? Faith without works is dead. Say it with me. Faith without works is dead. Say it again. Faith without works is dead. May God give you a faith that works.